Rome once fell, and all great civilizations do. Is America falling? Could we be doing more? Some say it's because we have stopped focusing on learning and understanding what it means to be a good citizen. That's what this podcast is all about. If civics is dead, what happens next? Welcome to Civics is Dead. I'm Cindy Schwartz. The problem that we have been identifying during the course of this podcast series is the lack of quality time given to the teaching of social studies, history, and civics in the American classroom. Really, since the Soviets launched Sputnik in 1957, and American schools were instructed in a de facto sense by the federal government to focus on math and science as a way to improve America's technology so that we could compete and ultimately out-tech the Soviets during this Cold War. The diminishing of social studies has really been going on for a long time. This relegating of social studies to second-class citizenship among core curriculum subjects was really kicked into high gear in the early 2000s when the No Child Left Behind Act passed by President George Bush and the Race to the Top program implemented under the Barack Obama presidency both occurred. Both essentially tied federal funding to state test scores in math and English language arts. Hence, the death of civics and social studies just wasn't as important. On our last episode, we dove into the 2018 Brown Report, which explored the current state of American education and found out that most states in the United States do require at least one social studies class for high school graduation, and some states require additional civics classes. But these states are almost unilaterally not incorporating the kind of social studies teaching that enables students to really learn civics, and they need to learn it, as the report said, in a more engaging, participatory way, a way that is absolutely essential if we are to prepare our students to become active, critical thinking participants in a thriving democracy. The report, using survey samples from high school in each of our 50 states, proved that we are making grave mistakes in terms of our teaching methodology that could ultimately affect the ability of young Americans to understand and participate in the American democratic process. The report cited 10 PPs, or what they call proven practices, that civics experts claim do lead to a high-quality civics education if they're implemented, one that all students regardless of their social and economic status, need to be exposed to, to ensure the continuation of democracy in America. The first proven practice is practiced by all 50 states. That is the basic classroom instruction of American government, history, law, economics, geography, and civics. So that's being done. The second proven practice that is also being done in all 50 states is the discussion of current events. Schools are also offering opportunities for the seventh proven practice, which is news media literacy. However, and we are talking exclusively of high school history now, the report says that high school social studies classrooms across the board are woefully remiss in offering students opportunities to engage in the democratic process in their classrooms and schools. The vast majority of high schools are not affording kids opportunities to engage in classroom mock trials, debates, and panel discussions. 70% of high school kids have never written a letter to a government official. Most high schools are not giving students an opportunity to have service learning 
student participation in school governance, and action civics. So what's the takeaway? High schools, particularly where our students are on the cusp of adulthood and voting, are receiving classroom instruction that is primarily focused on rote memorization of facts without interactive and participatory components, which this Brown report says, and I quote, is insufficient to equip students to participate in a democratic society. So what can be done to change this? What are states doing to offer new plans to give students more democratic opportunities to participate in their classrooms? We will address what is being offered and what is not being offered. And ultimately, I believe that it is all about the teacher. As John Dewey, major progressive educational reformer of the late 19th and early 20th century once said, and I quote, teachers are ordinary men and women of whom we expect the extraordinary. Let's give teachers the tools to do the extraordinary. What an awful day this has been. Tomorrow is the last day of school, and I still haven't met that little red-haired girl. If I don't meet her tomorrow, I won't see her all summer. I came so close, too. Several times I almost met her. I almost talked to her. Tomorrow I've got to do it. Tomorrow is D-Day. Instead of walking to school tomorrow, I'll get up real early and meet her at the school bus. I'll be the first one there, so I won't miss her. You can't help loving Charlie Brown, his innocent hopes and his wishes for his school year ahead, and that he meets that little girl. He's a child, and he's really a representative child of all children. And let us never, ever lose sight of our students as people. And that's why, as we move forward today and talk, we want to always keep that in mind, that students are people too. When I taught middle school and the students were coming in for the year, and we surveyed them to find out what they were most concerned about with their year ahead, they would tell us in survey after survey that they were far more concerned about who they would sit with at lunchtime than who their teachers were or how much homework they would have. So let's always keep in mind that our students are human too. So who are the teachers that are teaching our students every day? Who is spending all this time with our kids? And if we are able to help our teachers improve their teaching methods to make sure our students are better citizens, then we can make for a better democracy. But as I said, let's first understand what the life of a teacher is like. You're listening to a podcast from LIU Studios. If you like what you're hearing, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to this show on your podcast app of choice. For more of our programs or to support LIU Studios, visit WCWP.org. Very recently, the National Center for Education Statistics put out some facts that really tell us about today's American teachers. And after we look at teachers as a whole, then we will zoom in on social studies teachers, because of course, our point is to better social studies teaching. And so the NCES, the National Center for Education Statistics, tells us that in 2019, we have 3.7 million teachers in the United States. And there was an interesting figure that I saw 
that said somewhere in the neighborhood of one out of 100 people is somehow involved in education. Most teachers in the United States, about 77%, are female and they are white. That does not mean that Hispanic and African-American teachers are not increasing in importance and in their numbers. But the average teacher today in this country is a white female. The average salary of teachers, and this is current, is about $58,950 for the year. Higher salaries for teachers who are in unions. We know that 94%, or it could be a little bit higher even, of teachers spend their own money on classroom supplies, and that amounts to about $480 per year out of their own pockets. If you're an elementary school teacher, you're spending even more, about $526 a year on classroom supplies. The average number of years that the average teacher today has in terms of experience in the profession is 14 years. And the average work week, now let's get ready for this one, the average work week for a teacher is 53 hours per week. And so many people who are not in those trenches and don't have boots on the ground in the field of education are not aware of the amount of time that teachers are putting in. So let's narrow down to social studies teachers particularly, because that was a kind of wide look at teachers in general. Well, the Brown Report that we have spoken about in previous episodes that came out in 2018 is really the quintessential report for us on the state of American teachers today in our country of the United States. So the findings tell us that uh, we have about 3.7 million teachers. The average age of social studies teachers is 42 years old. That's interesting. 58% of social studies teachers, more than half are male. We just want to throw that out for a minute. Only 16% of social studies teachers today are minority. And the average number of experience for social studies teachers is also, like teachers across the board, about 14 years. Social studies teachers generally have, interestingly enough, slightly lower SAT scores from college, but not by that much. And social studies teachers average about 121 students of their own that they teach daily. And now we're talking about high school here. So that's 121 students, where high school teachers of English language arts have an average of 106 kids a day, math 106, science 116. Social studies teachers have on the average more students than any other teacher in high school. Average number of courses a high school social studies teachers teach is five, and that's the same for all course subjects. But here is where social studies teachers differ from other teachers, and the Brown Report is very specific on this. Social studies teachers, 70% of them are involved in extracurricular student activities whereas only 58% of English teachers, 53% of math, and 63% of science. So the report says in very simple terms that social studies teachers are busier, are working longer, and are a little perhaps more tired than the other teachers. That's not saying that that's entirely true, but it leans in that direction. So as we said, as a little bit of a summary, Social studies teachers are disproportionately male. 
they shoulder more responsibilities and extracurricular activities. And in addition, let's add, that they are more likely to teach subjects outside of their subject areas. And you can contractually, depending on your state, teach one or two subjects outside of the area that you are licensed in. They have more students per average than other subjects when they teach high school. And yes, they make slightly more money than other teachers, but that's simply because they are spending more time on extracurricular activities and get paid for that. Now, most teachers say, according to a 2013 article, and it, it seems to prove today, too, from the Brown Report, that teaching is a very important job, but a thankless one. And some teachers work 12 to 16-hour days, even though the average school day is 6.7 hours. And as we said, what would those hours entail? Extracurricular, but also we have to make mention that there are meetings after school, there, is meeting, there are meetings before school, there is grading, administrative, or volunteer activities on top of it. And so teachers, yes, work 10 months per year, but they also spend time working during the summer, two to four weeks for continuing ed to meet contractual obligations, sometimes three weeks for curriculum planning, and sometimes four weeks for training for actually being in the classroom. And so in a way, although they only work 10 months a year, they actually don't in some ways. I have always loved the sound of that Charlie Brown teacher talking, if we want to even call that talking. It's really a trombone going wah, 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 wah. Anybody who's seen Charlie Brown certainly knows that they are poking fun at what students hear when they hear teachers talking often. It just kind of sounds like that. And so that's not good for education, is it? And although that's a little cartoon and a TV show, we do want to take it uh, for what it's worth because oftentimes students are not engaged in school. And the whole purpose of all of our episodes on this podcast is to enable our students to love school, especially to love history, so that they can become good citizens and participants in our democracy. So let's talk about how to make the classroom more engaging. And we go back now to the philosophy of a very important progressive educator from the progressive era at the turn of the 20th century, John Dewey. And John Dewey lived uh, his life from 1859 to 1952. And so his ideas on education are paramount for us to really bring in advice on how teachers can make the room more engaging, especially social studies teachers, so that our students are interested in the history of our country and want to be engaged participants. So John Dewey said, that these are the characteristics of a good classroom and good teaching. Number one, there should be meaningful activity in learning, not like simply rote memorization and lecture where teacher talks and student listens. 
And that is what the recent Brown report said is wrong with our classrooms. We may be offering social studies. We may be offering some civics classes, although not in every school. But what is wrong is that the learning is not engaging for the student. They're not actively participating. So John Dewey, and he told us this a long time ago in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, you must have experiential learning, participatory learning, classroom democracy. How many times does a teacher give students an opportunity to vote on how much homework should be during the week, to vote on what kind of reading assignments they may have, to participate in democracy within the classroom? John Dewey recommended that you not rely solely on rote learning. Do not use authoritarianism often in your teaching. Use democratic approaches to teaching. Students must be invested, John Dewey said, in what they are learning. How do we ever learn anything, really learn it, really take it in, if we are not invested in what the information is? It needs to matter to us. And John Dewey recommended Additionally, that curriculum should always be relevant to a student's life. Learn by doing. Practical life skills are essential in a child's education. And the central lesson in education, John Dewey believed ultimately in the end, is to teach democracy. And I would like to quote for you what he said. John Dewey once wrote in his book, The School and Society, he said that every school must become an embryonic community life, active with types of occupations that reflect the life of the larger society and permeate throughout with the spirit of art, history, and science. And when the school introduces and trains each child of society into membership within such a little community, saturating him with the spirit of service and providing him with instruments of effective self-direction, we shall have the deepest and best guarantee of a larger society which is worthy, lovely, and harmonious. Let us make a society like that where children are actively engaged in the education that they are going through. That is the philosophy of John Dewey. <clears throat> Welcome to Remedial Science 1A. My uh, wife recently passed away. I thought teaching might ease my loneliness. Will this be on the test? No. Oh. How many times did I hear teaching, is that on the test? Is that on the test? Is that on the test? We just heard Homer Simpson, of course, asking that question. And that is the age-old question that can stop a teacher in their track and get them to think for a minute, am I teaching to a test? Oh, I hope not. Because if that's what's only important to the student, then we have so much work to do. So let's talk now about how we can make teaching better in the classroom. We, we spoke about how John Dewey says, make it experiential, have the student be invested, have learning that is participatory. Well, to teach civics, I'd like to tell you that there are really three C's. So civics knowledge means every student should have an understanding of government structure, government processes, and relevant social studies American history and concepts, of course. But that's usually the rote memorization knowledge, but it can be taught in a variety of creative ways that we're going to talk about. Civic skills. 
This is the ability that teachers need to teach as well. Students need to be enabled to participate in a democracy as responsible citizens. And in the classroom, you can do mock trials, you can have elections, you can have debates, you can have panel discussions, so much to help your students have civic skills where they actually participate. But you also want to develop as a teacher something known as civic dispositions. And these are really attributes that are really important and attitudes that are really important in a democracy, such as a sense of civic duty or a concern for the welfare of others or a tolerance an understanding that I should vote, that I should care about diversity. I should be tolerant. I should be accepting and understanding. Those are the kinds of things that are also part of a civic education. And in order to do this in the classroom, there's a very interesting book that came out many, many years ago in 1960s, late 60s, and then was uh, revisited again and revised in 1972. And it's called Your Rights and Responsibilities as an American Citizen, a Civics Casebook. And Charles Quigley was partially responsible for this. He's a um, California educator. And what he argues is that you need to ask questions. And we're starting to get there in, in many educational circles now with things called essential questions. And um, he was the executive director and uh, still is, I believe, for civic education, the Center for Civic Education. And he says it's got to start in kindergarten. We have to teach our students from a very young age with questions like, why do we have rules and laws? Why do we have positions of authority? Things like, should laws tell you to do something that you feel is impossible for you to do? Should everyone be allowed to know the laws? Will having a good education keep you and make you better at making laws? What can happen if your laws give too much power to a ruler? Should you and your friends be able to gather together and ask the government to change the laws? Should you be free to write or read anything you wish? These are the kinds of questions that we want to introduce our children to from the time they're in kindergarten throughout their entire educational career so that they are critical thinkers and can participate in making the laws of our nation. And it's interesting to note that, for example, although all states have a discussion of current events, and we know that from the Brown Report, it was very interesting to find that the most common proven practices, which we called before when we started today's episode, the PPs, there's only three that classes are really doing across the board. They're having classroom rote instruction. They are discussing current events, how often, usually just weekly, and they are having news media literacy. But they're not doing participatory activities in the classroom. 70%, we had said, of 12th grade students the survey found in the Brown Report, have never written a letter or given an opinion or helped solve a problem in their community. 56% of 12th graders have never taken part in role-playing or mock trials or dramas in their classroom. 53% of 12th graders have never gone on a field trip or have had an outside speaker come into their classroom. 31% never take part in debates or panel discussions. Never. 31% never take part in a debate or panel discussions, and 17% never give a presentation to the class. 
These stats are very important for us to look at. And when you think of the kinds of mock trials that could be done from Peter Zenger trial and freedom of the press to the Haymarket Square trial about workers' rights to the Rosenberg case about whether they sold secrets to make the atomic bomb to the Soviets or panel discussions on EPA rules or panel discussions on bigotry or prejudice or Jim Crow laws in our past. So much to talk about, so much time is needed to prepare our students to be in a democracy. And so we say beef up civics education by participating in John Dewey type activities in your classroom, and you will see results. So to make education better, former First Lady Michelle Obama is telling us that we need arts education talk about this all the time. The arts can actually make kids better students. And we lose sight of that fact when we eliminate these kind of opportunities. This is the stuff that hooks kids in. And the evidence is crystal clear. Uh, Kids who get involved in the arts, they have higher grades. uh, They have higher graduation rates. uh, They have higher college enrollment rates. We could go on and on and on. Um, So arts education isn't just a luxury that... uh, we add on after we've achieved other priorities like uh, raising test scores and uh, getting kids into college. And we say this every time we do an event. These are not luxuries. These are absolute necessities. It's actually critical to achieving uh, those initial priorities in the first place. We need other types of education besides rote memorization of facts in our core subjects. And certainly, certainly, the arts have fallen to the wayside, like social studies, in this, you know, quest to make math, science, and English language arts scores higher. But let us just say this. Some states are trying to make changes. Florida, for example, their state board of ed recently approved a civic literacy component for students at public universities. They can take civics or test out of that requirement, but they're required to know at least the basic principles of U.S. government and how those principles are applied, some landmark Supreme Court decisions and the country's founding documents. In Missouri, for example, college kids must score at least 70% on a version of the U.S. naturalization citizenship test. And if not, then they need to take a class on civics. And in Texas, for example, they had a House Bill 1858, which would require high school students to get at least 60 out of 100 questions correct on citizenship. And that bill, if it is passed, would go into effect in the school year of 2020-21. And so many people are trying to find a way to address this issue of civics not being as important in our curriculum. Well, we have so much more to do. We have so much more to talk about. But this actually concludes our season one of Civics is Dead, our introductory season. Please join us for future episodes, though, in season two, where we will feature simple, creative sampler lessons that will bring American history, government, and civics alive. Future episodes will also feature interviews with boots-on-the-ground administrators, teachers, parents, and students helping us use our keep an eye on the prize, it takes a village approach to making sure that our students become engaged participants in our democracy. In other words, we won't allow civics to die. 
Thank you for listening. Please be sure to subscribe to Civics is Dead on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice, or visit wcwp.org slash civicsisdead. I wish you a beautiful day and great peace in your life.